0: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Formula One Grid Talk. This is episode 194. My name is Tom Horrocks, and today on F1 Firesides, we have another fascinating conversation for you. Have you ever wondered how deals are done with sponsors? Well, Jeremy Schoons has the answer for you as he is the founder and CEO of Front Row Marketing. Welcome to the show, Jeremy.
1: Hey, Tom. How are you doing? Great to be here.
0: Yeah, really good. Really enjoying the, uh, the 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 lack of sun. It's now gone away, and it's lovely and raining here. Uh, so, uh, uh, so it's uh, miserable outside. That's our that's our summer definitely gone. Um, but if if you're enjoying these episodes, please consider leaving us a five star review on Apple Podcasts uh, and on Spotify, as this really helps us climb up the rankings. Uh, and we might even give you a shout out, as I think you're on the next show too. As well as these fireside chats, we do previews, reviews um, and analysis of every race weekend on YouTube and on all major audio platforms too. just search for F1 Chronicle or F1 Chronicle dot com to uh, to find out more. Make sure you subscribe and click the bell on YouTube to know when we are live. So, uh, yeah. So in a nutshell, then, Jeremy, can you explain to to our listeners and to me as well uh, what it is that front row marketing actually does in 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 the sport of F1 and just sport in general?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So we are, if you like, um, a middleman. We're a sort of a, an introducer. So uh, you've obviously got lots of teams that are uh, involved in the hunt for, for, for partners. Um, and we are out there in the marketplace uh, talking to brands um, and uh, understanding about what they might be looking for. Uh, and then hopefully helping introduce them to the right teams to, to get a deal done. So we're very much uh, sort of the middleman in a lot of these deals um, and 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 uh, teams will use uh, various uh, tools to, to to recruit partners um, and introducers are, are an important part of that so that's what we do
0: cool okay so how um, how many people are there kind of fighting over this position Is it, are you kind of uh, one of the one of the big big fish or are you uh, are you kind of fairly fairly new to the game
1: I'm I'm definitely a minnow I mean um, <laughs> you know they're, they're, it, it, it's it's You can imagine it's tremendously competitive. Uh, Formula One, because of its popularity, because it's the pinnacle, uh, it attracts by far um, the largest amount of investment in motorsport uh, globally. And therefore, there's an awful lot of people like me out there. Uh, Some of them are big agencies uh, like CSM um, and uh, Prism and other other big agencies that are part of big groups. Um, And then you have uh, people like me, which are much, much smaller, Uh, but you know we've been around uh, a while um, and we've got to know quite a few people and at the end of the day it all comes down to contacts and connections and um, if you can use those and get through to the right people then then uh, there's definitely deals to be done Um, and obviously we don't charge the sort of uh, the big heady fees that some of these big agencies do so that's our, our advantage at least. But um, yeah, it, it's very competitive. It, it, it the, the race for commercial sponsorship is as intense as the on-track activity. It's just that you don't really see it, uh, but it's just as cutthroat. Um, it's just uh, as competitive. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's very, very, very intense.
0: <laughs> mm, yeah, I, I can imagine. So I, I imagine then you you haven't got a massive cut of that 150 million pound uh, Oracle sponsorship deal. Then uh, I'm sure we needn't oh. preside over that one. Then,
1: yeah, uh, the, you know those those things don't come around that often. And, and and we've seen a few couple of big deals in Formula One recently. Obviously, uh, the Bybit deal uh, with with Red Bull, which is a cybersecurity platform. The Oracle deal with Red Bull, you know, Red Bull doing very well commercially. We saw Cognizant on the Aston Martin, some sort of ret- the return of some really seriously big, big deals. Um, and if if you are fortunate enough uh, to 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 put that together and be on a on a decent commission, then uh, yeah, it's uh, it, it's it's a tremendously exciting place to be. But it, it's a real it's a real it's definitely a real buzz you know when you when you find a brand that wants to get involved and you help to broker that deal and put the two parties together uh, and make it work it's it's very exciting
0: so i'm assuming obviously you're you're a founder for me while i can tell that from the memorabilia behind you which i'm very jealous of uh but has, has this always been your, your your dream to to do this role or did you just kind of like like a lot of people just fall into it unexpectedly
1: well, um, I w- I've been Formula One obsessed since I was about eight years old. Um, and I was taken... My, my first memory of, of Formula One, I think, oh, was probably 1988. Um, I sat at uh, Beckett's, uh, the old Beckett's as it was back then, mm. um, for in, in a soaking wet race um, with uh, Ayrton Senna basically just doing what he did the best, which was just... <laughs> outright going outrageously quickly in wet weather um it was soaking wet uh it-, it was miserable day we all got stuck in the car park for hours afterwards as as we used to do at Silverstone um but from then on I was absolutely hooked um so I uh, followed the sport very closely um didn't do anything at uni remotely related to what I do now I did geography at university um and then I left uni and i thought i'm desperate to get involved in motorsport um what could i do and it was at a time when uh you know sponsorship was really on the up Um, and i thought well maybe try and get involved in the marketing side so so that's what happens
0: Wow, fantastic. So, so it wasn't just like sitting there on that cold morning in Silverstone, thinking, I want to find out how those stickers get on the car. It's... <laughs> no,
1: no, no. It definitely, it was an obsession with the sport. And yeah. then it was kind of, I, I want to be in that. I, I need to be involved in that somehow. And I wasn't an engineer, obviously. Mm. Um, but I, I was quite good with people. Um, and I thought maybe there's, there's something I, c- I can do. Um, I sent my CV off to all the teams and got rejected uh, by all of them. Um, but it was actually a, a, a Dr. Jonathan Palmer, who obviously was a former F1 driver and s- since then a very successful businessman. He he had not long started um, quite a pioneering championship in the UK called Formula Palmer Audi, which was one of the first single make series, um, which really kind of put the skills of the driver at, at the heart rather than a driver's budget or the, the ability of the team. Um, and I went and met him and he said, look, I don't have a job for you, but you can start tomorrow. Um, (laughs) so I turned up for work the next day and, and within a couple of months, because the series had been doing quite badly financially. Um, so he had to change it from a young driver's championship to a more of a a kind of a gentleman's championship. Mm -hmm. Um, and so he, he let a lot of staff go, unfortunately, and I suddenly found myself, I was doing the mar- I was doing the marketing, the driver sales. I was writing the series magazine. I was doing all the accounts, um, and after about a year and a half, I look back now actually, and I, I was pretty close to a nervous breakdown. Actually, I, I, it, it was way too much. I was completely out of my depth. Um, Jonathan is a, is a very hard taskmaster, but it was the most amazing learning experience, and I, I got to see all angles of, of how motor, a motorsport business works and functions, um, and he, he knows what a good job looks like. It was very professionally run. Um, and I decided after that, having seen a bit of everything that I wanted to be involved in the sponsorship side, that was the bit that really sort of uh, grabbed my attention. Uh, and this time when I wrote off to a few formula one teams, I got a, I got a job uh, in Toyota, uh, who obviously came into formula one in 2002, they entered. Mm-hmm. So I found myself, um, sort of early twenties living in Germany, being paid to go to most of the formula one races, which was, which was terrible. You know, <laughs> um, it sounds
0: like you had a real real put through the ringer
1: there. <laughs> yeah, it was awful. I mean, I, I look back now and I, I, I didn't realise at the time quite what a spoilt position it it was working for Toyota. I mean, these, you know, that, that team had money, you know, to burn. Um, I remember uh, flying uh, from Cologne to um, Paul Ricard. Um, They chart, they used to charter a private plane for the team. And I remember flying over Paul Ricard looking down, it was a three car test so uh, we had, you know, three cars out on the track at one time and then landing on the runway in the middle of Paul Ricard on a, on a private plane. I mean, it, it, you know, at the time, I just thought all this was absolutely normal. Um, uh, and of course it isn't. And, uh, you know, since then, it's been, um, yeah, I've looked back at that with quite rose-tinted spectacles. But uh, yeah. So a couple of years, yeah, a few years with Toyota looking after sponsors um, uh, and then sort of subsequently work for a few other teams as well. So it's been it's been amazing and uh, I'm very lucky, very privileged to have to have had the opportunity.
0: Mm. So when, when, when did the, uh, the, the, the seed get sown to actually start your, uh, your own company up?
1: Well, I'd always I'd always been thinking about it for, for a long time, but um, never really had the the guts. I mean, it, it's a it's a big leap to to do that. Um, I've never really had had the courage. Um, I kind of I I, I was very heavily involved in F one until about two thousand and eleven, and then I I worked for Aston Martin um, for ten years, mainly on their sports car racing project, the GT program um, uh, at Le Mans and things. And um, when that kind of came to an end. Uh, in 2020 um, obviously Lawrence Stroll had bought um, Aston Martin uh, so the sports car racing program finished and it was then that I thought okay well yeah, unless we do this now we're never ever going to do it so uh, so yeah it, August uh, 2020 um, we, we went for it and um, and I'm really pleased and I was very uh, I was in a good place at the right time to to start working with the Aston F1 team um, and we Quite quickly, put together the the NetApp deal, which is on on the Aston at the moment, mm-hmm. um, and we are involved in the early stages of the Peroni um, deal, which is on the Aston as well. So, so really, um, it, yeah, exciting times. And and since then, it's just been crazy, really. <laughs> but it's uh, but it's good fun. I mean, Formula One is in a great place right now.
0: Yeah, it's it's great to see that so many big names are, are wanting to get get involved in uh, in in Formula One now and 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 line up with the teams and the role that you play in that absolutely uh, absolutely crucial. So uh, yeah, I mean, did you ever dream about racing yourself, or were you? Is that always just not not on your radar? I still do. I'm,
1: I'm still convinced <laughs> I'm going to be a, a Formula One driver one day. Um, I'm never going to give. I'm never going to give that up. Uh, the fact that I'm. Six foot six and uh, really untalented. Um, you know, doesn't really uh, come into it. Uh, of course, you know, I, I'm a I'm a, frust- I'm a frustrated racing driver. Probably like half the people that work in motorsport. Um, but uh, yeah, you need uh, you, you need uh, incredible skill, commitment. Um, a decent amount of cash to get going and and a lot of luck um, and you just yeah you, you need to be a winner so um, unfortunately I, I didn't quite have uh, a, a few of those uh, assets but yeah I mean what about you? You must have wanted to do that as well.
0: Oh yeah absolutely I, I, I am now starting to realise at the age of 40 that perhaps the, I, I might not be getting that call from McLaren to uh, <laughs> to, to go but you know Ricardo's having a bad season so you never know there's still hope I might yet get yeah. the phone call this year that's, that's, that's the hope <laughs> but no uh it's yeah it's one of those things isn't it it's it's like wanting to be a professional footballer it's just one you know one in a you know 10 million people or something have an outside yeah. chance of it so but yeah. it's even
1: worse in motorsport because at least with football you've kind of got a lot of different teams in various countries i mean i don't know what the average professional footballer makes but i, I it feels like there's more of an opportunity to make a living playing football whereas with motorsport you can be an absolute uh, megastar um, and be winning in Formula Two and other categories, but you're having to pay for your seat, mm. um, and uh, you know that's a that's a tough hill to climb. You you know to make a living out of it, you've got to be very exceptional. So um, even these. Obviously, in, in Formula One, you, you've got the pinnacle, but there, there are some absolutely incredible drivers in, in sports car racing and, and other forms of motorsport that you may not hear about, um, but they're making a living because they are, you know, they're absolutely fantastic. They might not have had the brakes to, to make it into Formula One, but they are they are incredibly talented. And that that was one thing, actually, that I learned. Where, uh, when, when you're working in Formula One, you, you tend to feel like... Formula, there's no world beyond Formula One and everything outside Formula One is just rubbish. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I got involved uh, in sports car racing, you realize actually that, that, that's not the case. There are some seriously talented drivers in, in all categories of motorsport. Um, but for whatever reason, whether it's politics or money or, or whatever, um, you know, perhaps they don't quite get that chance. But, but it's incredible, uh, the talent that is out there actually.
0: Yeah, I mean, you you mentioned that uh, obviously you you work in in the sports car series as well. What's what's the difference in? I mean, obviously it's probably night and day, but the difference it with uh, with Formula One and sports car, what, like for your role, how how does that differ?
1: Yeah, I, the, the, quite simply, the biggest thing is eyeballs. Uh, Formula One, the world watches it you know you've got an absolutely amazing global audience i think um, in terms of you know cumulative audience over a year it's like 1.5 billion and you've got an uh, you've got a uh, sort of unique fans you've got about 450 million worldwide um Sports car racing. The audience is just a lot, lot smaller. It's also more difficult to understand. Um, you can probably walk into any boardroom and talk about Formula One, and people will know what you mean. Ah, oh, Lewis Hamilton, or oh, Michael Schumacher, if they're a bit older. Um, sports car racing. You you've got to do a bit of explaining first, and 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 that's that that makes it obviously a harder sell. Um, so the money that Formula One commands is a lot greater. Um, and that's because the attention is a lot greater. So whereas your discussion around Formula One will be a lot more about brand awareness, um, you know, global exposure, your discussion around sports car racing, there'll be a little bit of that, but it'll be more around much more emphasis on sort of storytelling. Um, and there might be because there are manufacturers uh, involved in sports car racing as well, there might be sort of a big business-to-business business angle with the manufacturer as well. So, yeah, it, it's a different proposition, and and it's a harder sell.
0: Yeah. yeah yeah so uh, the the product itself is uh is still still a very strong product as well i'm not i'm not a huge follower of sports car racing but when i when i when i do watch it, i do think i am kind of amazed at just just how much goes into that as well yes. uh, for first for, for you know pound for pound it's uh it's just as competitive and uh, and just as good a product but uh, but yeah. back into into formula one you've obviously yes. been involved in formula one for for around is it 20 years you've been around formula one now
1: yeah. Yeah. So, so 10 years very intensively and then sort of back into it since starting my own business over the last couple of years. So, but always, yeah, always, uh, quite close to it. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, so how, um, how close do you get with, with some of those, those big names in Formula One? You've got, you know, you've got your Bernies, your Flavios and all, all that kind of people. <laughs> do you ever get involved in, in, with them at all? Or are they kind of, um, are, are, do they have people, you know, they have people doing that, those jobs for them?
1: Yeah, no, I've I've had a a, a real uh, opportunity to to work very closely with 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 some of the big names, um, you know, and there are some fantastic characters um, in the sport. Obviously, um, I I was lucky enough to work at McLaren for a little while, um, and and didn't have a huge amount to do with von Dennis, but um, yeah, he uh, I his his reputation um, for being a hard taskmaster is definitely. Definitely right. Um, I remember sitting outside the motorhome with him and um, one of the senior executives from Exxon Mobil, who were uh, a big McLaren partner at the time. And, and my job was to look after the Exxon Mobil. And this very senior guy from Exxon Mobil was, was very kind and said, said to Ron, um, oh, Jeremy's doing an excellent job for us. Um, you know, we're really happy. And in front of this guy, Ron just turned to me and just went, we'll see about that. <laughs> so, I was like, okay okay so uh you know so um and then a little bit later on um i i had a chance to to work a fair bit i, I was actually on the sponsor side when, when ing was sponsoring Renault. i i had an opportunity to work a little bit with um with flavio um and wow i mean what a character um <laughs> he he used to call me mr bean <laughs> um so that was my <laughs> he uh, he didn't even bother calling me mr bean actually he just called me bean uh so you know it would be kind of hey bean um and oh, um man. and and he was yeah he was a very interesting character we we when the ing deal was announced we were summoned to his office which is uh uh was just off uh, in kensington uh, in london and uh, we were led up these stairs to this kind of very bizarre uh, all I can describe it as uh, that there was just le- black leather everywhere on on the walls, on 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 the the couch. It was real kind of um, yeah. I, I don't know what to it. it. Let's just say it didn't feel like an office. It felt like something else. Uh. Um, and, and bearing it, you know, ING were paying a huge amount of money. Uh, I think it was something like you know forty million euros a year sponsorship. And so we were summoned, the, head, the global head of marketing, you know, he had some really senior people there. And this was supposed to be the kickoff meeting where um, basically, you know, we, we would be introduced to him and we would hope, you know, hopefully all have a nice, uh, a nice introduction and everything would be nice. Anyway, he comes in, he, he came in late and then proceeded basically to give us uh, an absolute rollicking for 20 minutes. Saying how, right, I, I don't want you talking to the media, I don't want you saying anything about team performance, um, and basically the, the message was, I know you're the sponsor, but you stay out of our way, and we'll stay out of, of your way, and we'll all be very happy together. Um, and it was it was quite funny, it was proper, um, as you would expect from him, you know, real kind of the, the godfather at the top of the table, sort of just like, this is how it's going to be, um, and this is how it works, so yeah, I mean, just re- really big characters, but but um I mean what I would say about both of them is that the Flavio and, and Ron Dennis are very different characters, but yeah incredible chalk and cheese. <laughs> yeah, chalk and cheese, but but both of them incredible uh sales salespeople. I mean, really when you put them in front of um a big company, their ability to tell the story uh, and the confidence that they exude is, is really compelling and y- you can understand why they're the boss of these teams and and people are ready to follow them into battle you know um, when, when you see people like that kind of operating in their window it's it's very very impressive so you kind of have there's plenty of times when you sort of just sit there in awe of you know how these how these guys at the top are, are, are thinking and how they're operating and how they're articulating things it's it's, it's very very cool to see
0: yeah i mean Flavio is definitely a, a polarizing character and uh, yeah. but uh, I, i'm pretty sure he could sell ice to Eskimos he's just one of those one of those people yeah, that he absolutely. just absolutely Just, just, yeah. It just has a way with, a way with words, and yeah, it just, just seems to be able to broker any kind of deal. But uh, you, you worked with Virgin as well for a bit, didn't you, or your your company did at least, or Uh,
1: yes, no. I I was uh, an account manager for Virgin Racing, so um, obviously it was um, a relatively short-lived sort of partnership under the Virgin banner. Mm. Um, But um, you know, uh, yeah, I was very lucky enough to work with John Booth. Um, who of, of Manor Motorsport fame, who was just fantastic, sort of down-to-earth, see, just proper, proper racer. Um, the only team principal I've ever actually seen get under a Formula 1 car and start spannering it, you know, really just uh, on it. Uh, and then on the other side of the scale, <laughs> scale uh, in that partnership, you had uh, Richard Branson, um, very different character, kind of uh, slightly sort of s- s- set a- set away from it you know quite a few steps away from it but but we'd come to the races and things um yeah i mean you just never really had the feeling that that virgin were kind of uh properly kind of into it or, or that they really understood what exactly they they kind of got um so you know unfortunately it didn't yeah it didn't last too too long that and, and there was all that budget cap stuff as well you know the nonsense uh, i think it was virgin hrt and catering wasn't it that came yeah. in thinking that there was going to be a budget cap only to find out that there wasn't and actually uh, it was going to be very tough so uh, yeah di- difficult times but um yeah still an interesting experience to, to 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 see and and to occasionally work with someone like like richard yeah mm, mm.
0: yeah probably about 10 years early they came into the sport really if they have come in now they, they might have, might have the chance of surviving
1: Absolutely, I was thinking that the other day. I mean, now is the would be the time for, for that and 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 to do something like that. But uh, yeah, I think probably their fingers have been well and truly burnt, and they're they're into Formula E, which kind of fits with their philosophy now. So
0: yeah, ab- absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> so, uh, do you get involved with um with with the teams in that sense, like with when they come to like trying to trying to enter Formula One or get involved in Formula One in that way? Do you ever have any any dealings with with the teams in that sense with Formula One? or is that kind of a bit beyond your remit
1: yeah that, that that's a little bit beyond beyond my remit really I mean I I'm you know I'm very much in the camp was where once that's all been concluded and the team is ready and they're they're kind of ready to go then it's kind of like right how do we fund this and how do we actually make this work commercially that's when people like me tend to get involved so um so yeah, that but that that sort of thing would usually be down to the investors and or the the CEO of the team, oh, okay. basically, or, or the team principal. Um, occasionally, I've been sort of fly on the wall to some of those conversations. Um, I was a lot more involved in that actually at Aston Martin on on the sports car racing side, but um, but in Formula One, that that tends to be the investors and yeah. the that do doing.
0: You're just awaiting the phone call from Michael Andretti, then, yeah. To, yeah, that would be awesome, yeah. wouldn't it?
1: Yeah, I mean, <laughs> wow, that. I mean, what a fantastic uh, uh, thing that would be for Formula One to see that name back. I mean, I, I really hope that they do it, um, and and they've got a very. They've got a very strong commercial operation already. Um, mm. so if they decide to to flick the switch on Formula One, they've got a very strong team already that they can um, sort of uh, switch over to 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 start working on f one quite quickly um which which I think just makes them even more credible actually because because quite a lot of the yeah <laughs> quite a lot of these um, we've seen it so many times over the years. Rich guy buys Formula One team, loses lots of money because he can't fund it and then just gets annoyed with it and sells it. Um, but an organization like Andretti, that's a, it's a proper operation. They've got a commercial department. They know how things work. They can, they could fund it. They could get sponsors and it will be a proper, a proper team. Yeah. Hmm. So that would be great for the sport.
0: I, I, I completely agree. It just seems like the, the teams don't seem to, and, and the FIA don't seem to want to allow it to happen, which for me, just, I just don't understand. You know, it's, it's, it's a, uh, you know, it's, it's a legacy of uh, one of the greatest Formula One drivers uh, of all time, in in, in Mario, and and uh, or certainly what, certainly up there as uh, in, in there, obviously ex world champion Michael, not doing particularly well in Formula One, obviously, but yeah, even yeah. so, just the name Andretti is just synonymous with with all motorsport. You know, they're in extreme, either in Formula E, IndyCar, just yeah. everywhere you look, you see Andretti. Apart from Formula One, why would Formula One not want Andretti in? The sport and I just think that the teams are just kind of they just don't seem to want it and I just I just yeah. don't understand why because for me Formula One is, is a 24 car grid it's been yeah. four cars yeah. short for a long time and you know with Andretti and then with with Audi coming in as well and then potentially um potentially Porsche buying into another team uh I think it's the it's the perfect the perfect scenario to get back up to that 24 teams but uh mm. but yeah no, okay. I agree with you. I, I, I obviously, I,
1: I, I can't, I'm not really in a position to answer to the the politics of that or, or mm. why the teams might not want it. But f- from a commercial perspective, if I was working for a team, I'd probably be sat there quite worried about Andretti coming in. Um, yeah. If you look at um, if you look at the um, the global uh, business structure, you know, the US is such an important market. There are so many. Uh, high-tech companies coming out of the US that are ripe targets for sponsorship targeting for Formula One. I mean, the US, is, especially the West Coast, Um, to have someone like Mario Andretti suddenly going into the boardrooms in the US and asking for sponsorship for his team uh, you know, I wouldn't be. Too, yeah, if I was working for another F1 team, I, I'd probably. Yeah, I wouldn't find that too too exciting either. <laughs> um, you know, it's definitely. It goes back to what I said, right? I mean, it's the it's the competition, um, and there's a finite number of companies that are willing to spend. Um, and in, if you look at the sports industry as a whole, there is a massive over inventory of of things to sponsor, uh, and there aren't enough sponsors to go around. So. The last thing the F1 teams need is um, someone like Mario Andretti walking into the boardrooms of America and hoovering up all the cash. So, but, but that's just from a very small sort of microcosm uh there's obviously a bigger picture there as well which
0: yeah which i'm not sure about <laughs> yeah so, so, certainly does uh, certainly does make sense yeah but um but i mean do you think if you are you of the opinion now that formula one has conquered america because obviously we just had the miami grand prix and how do you do you think that went and and just sort of formula one in general in america now is it is it there have we finally cracked it
1: well Put it this way: It's a lot better than it was last time I went to a US Grand Prix, which I think was 2004. Is that the? One, I, I think that's the one where the the Michelin runners peeled off after Dude, the. Great I, lap. I
0: think that was 2005. Oh, was it? Okay. Yeah, in Indy 25, five, 2005, I think it was. Yeah. Anyway, double I double mean, check, but. I mean
1: my me- that was the low point of my career really um it, it, it I always felt it was a real honor to put a team shirt on and and to actually go to an f one race it was it was something really special and I was very always very proud to 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 do that um and in America it was the opposite i just i felt I felt absolutely awful to be wearing a team shirt and it was the first time in my career that that I'd had that feeling and and I you know the the race was such a shambles obviously for those of you that 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 haven't seen it basically there was a a safety issue with the michelin tire um and the decision as to whether to compete was left to the teams themselves um and the michelin michelin could not guarantee the safety of the tire and so after the parade lap all but i think i think there were uh, six cars that started the race and all the others peeled off after the parade lap and retired, um, and you know the crowd were were seriously aggro, quite understandably. I mean, you think how much a ticket costs, um, and when it came to leaving the track, um, you know our cars were were mobbed by angry angry fans and bottles being thrown at the cars. I mean, it was it was really ugly, and 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 at that time, I remember. Discussions in the team saying, "Well, the US is dead. Like Formula One will never come back from this because it it, it had a tendency in those days to kind of rock up a little a little bit arrogantly um, as the biggest show in town, uh, and you know we had really got a bad reputation for ourselves and um, quite quite deservedly actually." Mm-hmm. So. Fast forward twenty odd years. I mean, I you know, I, I think it's that's made an incredible turnaround. Um, has it cracked America? I think um, I think we've got to wait. I, th- I think if we can consistently keep 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 this momentum for a few years, then yes, I think I think there's a good chance that we'll sit back and say yes, we, we cracked it. Um, I think that Netflix has helped massively, which, you know, the, I think I think what, what the Netflix series did was, was make Formula One accessible, to, especially in America, in a way that was kind of understandable um, and gave them a storyline, um, gave the sport stories w- without having to be a real fan and understand all the technical elements of Formula One um so it's done amazing things so i think yes i think at the moment it's looking really really good i mean three races in america who would have thought that next year um whether it's cracked it we'll, we'll have to wait and see um but but it's definitely on on its way um i think as a purist uh, as a formula 1 fan that, that's obviously loved the sport for ages i i felt a little bit i felt a little bit like this race wasn't wasn't for the pure fans. I felt like this one was more for another audience. Um, And that's fine. Um, But I do think they've just got to be careful that they don't go too far over the line towards entertainment um, versus sport. You know, the the one thing that we've absolutely got to do is, is keep F1 as the pinnacle of motorsport first. And then the entertainment after, and I think they're, they're right on that line at the moment, and hopefully they won't they won't cross over to it too too much because yes, it's great growing the sport and bringing new fans in, but you, you can't forget your your base. Um, and uh, I, from what I've read, I you know you can see some people are a little bit little bit miffed. With with all the hype, Um, ultimately I think it was a really good thing. Uh, But I just hope that they don't kind of keep going too far and it and it doesn't start to look like WWF, you know. Um, That that's what we don't want for sure. Well,
0: it's uh, certainly a long way away from a soggy day in Belgium, isn't it? It's uh, (laughs) it's completely different, completely different vibe. I'm I'm of the opinion with with Formula One in the USA, especially when we look at the Miami Grand Prix we've just had. Yeah, uh, it's it's very much that is. Miami's culture, that whole kind of fake... Yeah. Um, look at us we're so great that is that's Florida that's what Florida is and and so that is their culture in the same way that when we go to, when, we, when we were going to South Korea you know we had Gangnam Style there dancing away and <laughs> and and uh, and the Indian Grand Prix as well you, you just you immerse yourself in the culture of the place that you're going and that's part of what a world championship should be do yeah. I want that to be every race absolutely not if Silverstone started doing what Miami were doing would I be up in arms of course I would be I'd be this yeah. is not Formula 1 I'd be screaming at it's clouds and and everything. I, I would hate it. But Miami, it works because that's what Miami is. I imagine Las Vegas will be much the same. Texas is is slightly different. It's going to be more kind of, hey, everything's so big here and, you know, <laughs> big stakes and big hats and everything like that. And that's great. I love that about Texas. But um, I don't understand where all this, this hatred is coming from. And I think it's very yeah. much... Uh, in a similar way to why the teams don't want Andresi in the sport, I think it's the uh, a lot of the European based fans don't want America to spoil their sport for them because, yeah, they've, maybe. they've maybe. had it their way for such a long time. And you know, it's it's, it's terribly un British, isn't it? The Miami Grand Prix, <laughs> it's just, yeah, it's, just yeah, yeah. it's just not cricket, is it? To be uh, <laughs> to be doing that kind of stuff,
1: yeah, flaunting your wares, um, yeah, yeah no, I, I know what you mean, but, but I, I think you're right, and I, I think they've got the balance just right at the moment, and I and I i hope it kind of stays there or thereabouts and as as you say they've got to reflect the, they've got to appeal to the the market that they're in right um so i i can imagine um i can imagine if you were there it was probably awesome Mm. and then if you but if you're watching it on telly in europe you probably thought it was a bit cringy but had had you been there and part of the atmosphere it probably probably would have felt absolutely right and 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 fun um So yeah, I think uh, I think you're right. Um, yeah.
0: yeah, you have know, got you got Vegas, you have got Monaco, you've got Miami. If you've got three glamour Grand Prix a year, we've got a 23 race calendar now. We can't have them all the same. We've got to have different vibes in different places. So I'm I'm fine with it. I, I as I said, I wouldn't want every race like it, but yeah. yeah, I, yeah. I, I think it's a good thing and, and it makes the sport stronger as well. They could rename it the Netflix Grand Prix. I'll be happy with that because it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's for Netflix fans, isn't it? Yeah. I mean,
1: you know, under Bernie, you know, Formula One was, was um, it also saw tremendous growth. So I'm not knocking what 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 he did. I mean, he's built the sport, but yeah, it was always very serious. This is about the sport. And, and no matter what market we went to, we'd put on exactly the same show. And And like you say, the Americans were just like, what? Well, i don't get it what yeah. like what's all the fuss about and so i think you know a bit of a bit of bravado a bit a of, bit of showmanship and a bit of color um plus a documentary and and love it or hate the netflix documentary um what it does do is it it really sort of personal it personalizes and uh uh bring bring stories out which is what which is what fans want to see isn't
0: it yeah yeah absolutely i'm uh <laughs> um uh, yeah as i said yeah i think there's not really much more i can say on that i've had my no, no. i have my rant <laughs> yeah no <laughs> yeah. I'm,
1: I, I'm just jealous i wasn't there and, and probably half the people that write these comments are jealous because they're not there because it just looks it looked like so much good fun and <laughs> we're stuck in stuck here and we, yeah. we'll have to go to a, a rainy silverstone later for our formula one action and it won't be anything like as glamorous but anyway it's yeah. all,
0: it's all a bit of fun anyway Absolutely. So the, the Formula One season so far then, how how have you found it? The Formula One in 2022, the, the, the grand new Formula One? How's it been for you?
1: I think it's been really, really positive actually. Um I think that we've seen some we've seen a, a few really good race, yeah, a couple of really, really good races. I love the fact that Ferrari are back at the front. It's so important for, for Formula One to have Ferrari um, just, just in the race, they, they don't have to win everything, but you know, just just to have them back up there as, as part of you know in contention for victory, I think I think is really important. Um, I, I, I'm you know I'm British, I, I I do wave a Hamilton flag. It's disappointing, obviously, that that they're not doing better, and I hope that they can get up there as well. Um, but it's nice to see a different battle and the dynamic between Leclerc and Verstappen. Uh, I think I think has been really interesting. I, I like Leclerc. I'm a big fan of his. He's very honest. I like I like the fact that he lambasts himself when he sticks it in the wall, and he's just very open. Um, so, big fan of that. Um, I think that the new cars seem to be seem to be doing a decent job. Um, at some point, we'll have to see. I I'm, I've never been a fan of DRS, although I accept that it, it it's needed. But it it would be nice. It, it's so difficult, isn't it? Because sometimes it does what it's supposed to do, which is to put a car in a position where it can make an overtake and sometimes it's just ridiculous it just kind of the car just yeah. it just blasts by which is a real shame so i think that they are i think there's a lot of things still to tweak but it i think it's going in the right direction i think it's a good start and let's hope that they can continue to kind of tweak it um so that so that it ends in a good place for me, I think it looks like it's going the right way. Um, yeah, what, what, what do you what do you think?
0: Well, yeah, it's, it's um, I'm I'm enjoying the the added element of racing that we've got now that people can seem to be you know they can be passed and then they can come back and then re-pass again. We've not really seen that since the 80s, really, where you know it's always been you know a car. Will catch and pass, or will catch and stay there. It's there's mm-hmm. never been this whole kind of these these multi lap battles where you know it's not just a case of will he or won't he pass him. It's will, can he get him back again, and and yeah. that we haven't seen for a long time. So that that's great, and the fact that they they do seem to be able to follow better. But like you, I'm I'm very uh, I've always understood the need for DRS, but I, I and I knew that this year they couldn't just get rid of it because you don't want to throw the baby out the bathwater. You fix one problem, and create another. It's it's definitely like you say in the in the right direction, but I do feel that DRS has been more of a negative this year than any other year so far. I I think it's it was just farcical in the first few races where it was all about no, I don't want to overtake because I want to make sure I get the DRS, and and it it just that's just that's not racing. I I, you know it's another strategic element, yes, but it it should be about trying to get your car in front, not about trying to make sure you're behind at the at the exact point to make sure that you get ahead later on. It just doesn't seem like racing to me. So that's that's that That again needs tweaking but it's the first year of a new era so yeah. we have to be very you know we're not gonna we're not gonna get it perfect first time so absolutely needs uh needs a little bit more tweaking and a little bit more honing but uh yeah,
1: yeah. i think i uh, yeah and, and then on top of that just to chip back in i think the other really interesting storylines have been kind of second career chances for for drivers that that might have been written off quite a lot so you know we're seeing Bottas drive really well um we're seeing Albon doing a great job as well and and that's been really interesting to see how drivers get on in different environments um yeah, I think I think that's been another an, another good storyline for the season. So I, yeah, I I think so far so good, and I I hope Mercedes get into the fight, and I hope that um, I hope Ferrari and Red Bull are like this all oh, year. But um, it does feel a little bit like Red Bull are going to start inching ahead, unless Ferrari can yeah. get some more straight line speed. But the the car philosophies are so different that uh, that could be tricky.
0: <laughs> yeah, I I think it will it will um, it will ebb and flow between tracks. I think Ferrari will have times when they will be the fastest car again, but Red Bull do seem like they just seem to be on this run at the moment. But I I just don't understand how that with everything that they were doing in a budget cap last year, everything they're throwing at the car now and it just seems like they, surely they are going to run out of money at some point because they yeah. can't they can't just keep developing the car. And if they if they are, then you know questions got. I'm not saying they're cheating, but I'm just saying how are they doing this when other teams, you know, Mercedes have brought hardly any updates to their car in the last couple of years since 2020. They 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 cut off development on that on that car very early to mm. focus on 2022, not even on 2021. Then when 2021 didn't start so well for them, they obviously switched focus back a little bit, which probably took the off the ball for this year. But even so, they like the, the amount of upgrades that Mercedes have been bringing just pale into insignificance to what Red Bull have brought and I just don't understand how they've done it I mean it's great they've they've pulled themselves back into this position where they hadn't been since 2013 and um you know characters aside you know the certain characters in Red Bull that I <laughs> I'm, I'm less than uh, less than kind of favorable about about my opinions of them but uh, but yeah. it's it's good it's good for the team so uh you know it's good to see them fighting up there again and, and with ferrari as well like you say i'm very happy about that but uh, i'm still a little bit heartbroken that mclaren didn't you know find a double diffuser style uh, yeah,
1: <laughs> silver bullet yeah, yeah. and <laughs> jump
0: back to the front again but but, but there we go yeah. so you mentioned about some of some of the drivers earlier in your role do you ever speak to the do you ever deal with the drivers at all and that kind of thing and and if you do who is it you like dealing with
1: Oh, okay. Um, really good question. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, um, n- not so much right now, but but certainly over the years, um, when you're working in a commercial department, one of, one of the things that your sponsors obviously want is access to the driver. Um, yeah. uh, that might be uh, for an, an event. It might be for um, a commercial filming um, oper- uh, program for, for an advert or something. So over the years, had some had the opportunity to to, to work with quite a, quite a few drivers um and you know to for, to varying degrees of success I would say because some of them don't mind doing that sort of stuff and and others um especially if you're Finnish and uh, <laughs> <laughs> apparently really really hate it and would make your life an absolute nightmare as you're kind of you know, trying to trying to get them to, to do one. Can we just do one more take of that sort of uh, sip of drink or whatever it is? You know, um, the the drivers that I, I that stand well, what, what one driver sort of stands out in terms of just professionalism and absolute um, sort of do, doing everything to get the job done and making sure the sponsor was happy, was uh, Pedro De La Rosa. Um, oh, really? Incredible, incredible guy to work with from a marketing perspective, really, really good. Alan McNish was fantastic as well, um, back in the back in Toyota days. Um, and then, uh, and Lewis, I had the chance to work with um McLaren in in his first year. At that time, he, I, I don't know what he's like to work with now. I, I um, but he was he was just brilliant. I mean, he just did everything that was asked of him. Very very professional. Re- really really good. Um, and then, as you can imagine, there are some that are perhaps not not quite so amenable. Um, Fernando was. Um, Fernando Alonso was quite, quite tricky. Um, I, I once had a, a motorhome full of um, private banking clients that were looking forward to sort of hearing from him. And uh, he sort of hadn't had a great day in the car. And I sort of looked up and saw him bunking out the back of the motorhome and doing a runner, which wasn't great. Um, so, you know, you kind of have all these um, ups and downs. It, 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 there are some there are some good characters. Um, but, yeah... yeah. it it, it tends to be perhaps perhaps it's the guys that are i don't know i don't want to don't want to say it but you know to to be the to be world champion you've got to be absolutely ruthless and and these guys are so focused on what's going on on track that they just everything else is quite frankly a a distraction and then you had the guys that were a little bit more amenable but maybe not quite so successful on track and they were very happy to to help and stuff so it's it's interesting but but Generally speaking, they're quite they're quite a tricky bunch to work with. You know, they're they're demanding. They're they they're, they're actually at the racetrack that they're, they're entirely self focused. That's that's all they're interested in. So, it's um yeah, it's, it, it, it it can have its challenges um and and its good moments as well.
0: <laughs> yeah, well I think Daniel Ricardo alluded to that in uh, a couple of years ago when he was uh, at Renault and uh, his first his first race for Renault in Australia and it ended obviously on the, on the first straight and he said after that race that he he f- he found he was just mentally drained and couldn't focus on his racing and cuz he'd always said yes to absolutely everything when it came to yeah. his home grand prix and he would spend two weeks just just Doing marketing and 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 uh, and appearances and that kind of thing, and, and so he had to say, then I'm going to have to be selfish. I'm going to have to say no, which is going to make him very unpopular with a lot of people. But but I think that's that was a, a really nice insight into what the drivers are put through. And I think now uh, there's been talk this year of how they've you know they've removed some some of the stuff. For the teams on the Thursday, but they've made it yeah. in a, a complete media day, or maybe even Wednesday, so that the, 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 they're having to be there super early and just have you know a day of full interviews when they want to be focusing on like team strategy and all that kind of stuff. So I think yeah. it's actually getting worse for the drivers, not better, which uh, which is. Um, uh, it's quite quite telling, really, when you when you see that. We, it's something we don't really think about. We just, you know, we hear these interviews and we we see them. And we just think, oh yeah, you know, poor you, you have to sit in front of a camera and speak to millions of people for a couple of minutes, you know. But it, it's not that. It's you know, it's across every country, and you know, every broadcaster wants their own soundbite, and yeah, and yeah, it yeah, Must be it must be quite difficult to 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 be able to get that, you know, to get that those five minutes here and there, and it must be very very difficult and challenging for them
1: i think it is it's relentless and I, and i think you're right it is getting worse as as the kind of um you know commercially the demands on teams um you know it, it, it is always very high and and you have to give something back to the sponsors uh, you've got to deliver something back and so teams are very very um controlling over how much driver time they promise in a contract um, mm. and especially when some drivers are very careful about how much time they promise in their contract with the team so um, you know I remember when, when Fernando came back to Renault after his first stint at Renault um, that um, we would always take the drivers from the paddock up to the paddock club to see the the corporate sponsors to do a bit of a QA and a and then back down again to the motorhome and it was actually in his contract that from the moment he left the motorhome to the moment he came back to the motorhome it was 20 minutes no more so we had only 20 minutes to get him upstairs do the interview and back down again through all the people I mean but but That that's yeah. There's only a finite amount of time in a race weekend, and and it's it's very pressured. It's it's tough. Yeah, you you do wonder how they concentrate on on what they do. And I I guess coming from Formula Two, that's probably one of the biggest differences for a driver is suddenly they go from very little commercial obligation to just completely bonkers. Um, So it's it's quite quite must be a massive adjustment to have to make.
0: Yeah I think Yuki Tsunoda said that last year as well the the difference that he had he had from from going from his you know uh very um very kind of humble formula 2 career where he wasn't really noticed by a lot of people and yeah. very much protected by the Red Bull umbrella and then all of a sudden thrust into the limelight and the Yuki Snowder hype train was in full flow cuz he got points in his first race and then it all just went down and you know downhill yeah. and then everyone's asking him what's happened are you going to lose your drive and it must be hard for them to to, yeah. to come into that but uh, very but, yeah, but um, I, I do want to touch on something that uh, that we we kind of spoke about in the pre-chat. You, you mentioned about uh, a certain character that that, uh, uh, <laughs> you, yeah. that you had a, a just an interesting story about a certain may, maybe a, a promoter of a certain Grand Prix or, or <laughs> yeah, yeah so, it's no uh, longer on the calendar. So I'd like to hear about that because that sounds really interesting. Yes,
1: yeah, so, um, I was working for Renault at the time, and um, you know. I, just, I I think one really positive thing about the budget cap, just um, from from Formula One's perspective, whereas before it used to be an arms race with open checkbook racing, basically, um, I think, you know, to have a budget for as a top team of 500 million euros a year was kind of roughly, you know, what you needed to, to, to win and to be competitive was sort of 300 million euros. I mean, you can imagine the... Um, the pressure that placed on teams to raise money in commercial sponsorship, um, and that's why for a long time we had tobacco companies and all, all, all those kind of things. And, and sometimes um, you would have seen deals that you're like, really, you know, do, is, is that a good, is that a good thing that that Formula One team's taking money from that company? And mm. and I guess this was one of those. So um, it, I was working for um, for Renault when we had Vitaly Petrov as a driver. Um, and Renault at the time was just come under general ownership. And, you know, it, it's, it was two, I think it was something like two million pounds a week to keep the doors open of that factory. I mean, it was crazy, crazy budget. And so, I mean, I'm not saying we were desperate for money, but, you you know, Vitaly Petrov got that seat. He was a very good driver, not taking anything away from him from that, but he, he obviously brought money with him. Um, And he was very um, well connected with the establishment in Russia at the time. Um, And I remember coming into the office one day and there was a tremendous commotion, Um, people running around. It was, you know, and it wasn't a race week, so it was a bit odd. And finally, you can normally sort of uh, find someone that will tell you what's going on because it was all very secretive. Um, But basically, they were running around trying to work out all the customs arrangements to get a Formula One car over to russia so that Vitaly putin um, vladimir putin could have a, could have a um, could have a go in a formula 1 car um right okay so so with the the car flies over and and i believe it took place in a car park and if you google the pictures you can actually see um the pictures of putin driving the, the an f1 car uh, it was uh, more or less in a, in a car park and and the team owner was out there petrov was out there and then um and then at the end of the of, of the uh, of the sort of play that he had the story goes that putin wrote three companies down on a piece of paper and handed them to the team boss and said those companies will sponsor you next year um so everyone comes back and then i get called into uh, the the boss's office uh, monday morning right um here are three companies you need to call them and uh and basically get the money off them so th- this th- these were the three easiest sponsorship deals that I ever did in my whole life because <laughs> these people had been told in no uncertain terms um you know you're going to sponsor these teams. And so um, so I gave each, each of these companies a call. Um, and, I, and I had a kind of, uh, on, e- on the end of the phone was an equally bemused person on the end of each phone because they've obviously been given this signal from on high mm-hmm. and told to just get on with it. They didn't really know what Formula One was. They didn't know what they were buying, uh, but uh, they knew that they had to transfer this much money um, and that we were going to give them something, whatever that was. Uh, very, really bizarre. Um and so for that for that season, you know, if you look on the if you look on the car where Petrol was driving, you've got, I think it was uh uh cibber uh larder was on the car as well um <laughs> and, and you, yeah and i think you know one of the companies sort of was involved in arms manufacturing you know it was all just oh. you know it m- messy it felt messy and, uh, and i think that's one great thing about the budget cap today actually is that hopefully you'll see less of that um but yeah that's my that's my vladimir my vladimir putin story wow. and um, yeah, crazy. I, I definitely felt like I was a, a a very small cog in a much larger machine at that point. But uh, yeah, the easiest sponsorship deals I've ever done in my life.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely right about about the budget cap there, and as well going to going to a big manufacturer like like Audi or, or Renault, and 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 you know saying, "Well, how, how much do you need?" And then it's just like, "Well." 500 million might be enough, you know, but, yeah. but we, we might need more. But now saying, you know, 145 million, 135 million, that is what we will spend. That's all we can spend. It, it's all of a sudden, It's you, you can quantify it and you can justify it a bit more. You can go to the board and say, this is how much we will spend on Formula One. This is this is what we hope to achieve for that. And yeah, then, definitely. you know, you can, you know, it's, it's a lot more down to success rather than who has the deepest pockets then. So if team, teams, teams yeah. will still come and go because. You know the teams doesn't matter how many manufacturers you've got in Formula one, they're they're not going to stay if they're not winning. So, yeah. Um, that's why we've seen Honda, you know, come and go all the time because they, if they're not winning, then why are they spending the money? So you'll still have that, but at least it's going to be performance based, not financially based. So you're absolutely right. And that's, uh, that's a really good point to make there.
1: And, it's- um, I, I think as well, that's another reason why, um, not the only reason that, that you, if you look at, I mean, from the sponsorship perspective, that there's been a huge influx of, uh, tech sponsors into mm. formula one. Um, now that teams have a budget cap, that they no longer have the uh, open checkbook ability to, oh, let's recruit twenty more people to write our own uh, artificial intelligence program for for this and that. Um, partnerships now, sponsorships are becoming a really. Important part of a team's performance because they obviously can't be seen to be spending the money. Now, what you get from a sponsor is factored into the budget cap, but obviously it leaves the door open to kind of, uh, uh, it leaves a bit more wiggle room, um, especially with development costs and things like that. Um, so you, you're seeing a lot of tech, tech brands piling into F1 at the moment, partly because it's great for them, but also it's great for the teams because they can work with these partners to deliver stuff that the budget cap. Potentially could make quite difficult it is factored into the budget cap but it just gives a little bit more wiggle room I think absolutely
0: yeah so I mean we've gone well over time but I make absolutely I make absolutely no apologies for it because it's been a fascinating (laughs) conversation I'd love to hear like what just for the rest of the season in Formula One who who do you think is going to win the world championship and um and who has impressed you the most this year
1: uh so I think ah oh, my heart says leclerc to win the championship mm-hmm. it really does like i desperately want him to win it but uh, but my head says verstappen will do it and i think i think i think red bull are are coming coming up very 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 strong and their car is so quick in a straight line i think it'd be very difficult to race leclerc i lo- part of the reason i love him is cuz he's a driver that just puts it on the limit so much but he is prone to the odd the odd mistake, and it won't take one or two more of those before Verstappen knows it. So, so I think Verstappen's probably going to going to to, to sneak it um, and and win the championship. And then most most impressive. oh, that's a tricky one. I would prob- I'd probably say maybe the biggest, maybe one of the biggest surprises. Actually, I, I'd say probably Albon. Actually. Mm-hmm because i'll be i i'll be totally honest i i thought he was a, i thought he was done I, I i thought he really didn't do a great job at red bull and i thought when williams hired him i was like what are they doing and to be fair to the guy he's operating at a really good level and he looks a lot more confident he's kind of he's regathered he's rebuilt himself and he he looks so so he's probably been the most impressive actually i i think good good luck to him he's come back strong yeah a little bit like gasly did after his red bull demotion um so yeah
0: yeah absolutely i Equally, been very impressed with with Alex Albon as well. So uh, yeah, I, I think I'm, I'm with you. I think it's probably going to be a Verstappen championship the way things are panning out. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I, I've still got some slight hope that Carlos Sainz can get on top of it and uh, and, yeah. uh, and win. But it's 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 incredibly unlikely. Um, I, I'm very much from the from the era that that uh, you know Ferrari the enemy. So uh, yeah, <laughs> I, yeah, it's no. great for Formula One to see them back up there. But if it's going to be somebody winning, I'd like it to be Sainz. But uh, if it's Leclerc, it's Leclerc, like you. Say, at least he's, he's an out and out racer. He's a clear talent. Yeah, um, yeah. he's, uh, he, he's got everything, but I do think he's probably a little too mistake prone at the moment still. Yeah. Uh, he, reminds but...
1: me a li- he reminds me a little bit. I mean, obviously he's driving a Ferrari, so there's always that, but he reminds me a little bit of Gilles Villeneuve just in the sense that he's, he's kind of, he's, he's on it all the time. And, you know, that he, with that comes, Greatness and incredible performances, and then sometimes you're going to have the odd your glitch. But it should be a brilliant, brilliant season between them.
0: Yeah, and and Verstappen has upped his game from last year as well. He's driving better than last year, I think, as well, because he's got a better car. He doesn't need to. Uh, he doesn't need to push so hard. But as a result of that, he's you know he he's just he's just found another level again from last year which is scary for the rest of the grid yeah. to be honest yeah yeah <laughs> very very, much. very scary very, yeah. but uh as i said yeah, jeremy it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to My you friend. and um that that's all we got for today so if you'd like to follow us you can follow us at f1 chronicle and i am at tom horrocks f1 if you want to follow me jeremy is there anything that you want to plug social wise or, or your company website anything you want to talk about before we go
1: Oh, not really. Only, only that if you're, you know, if you're a major brand and you're looking at getting involved in in, in top level motorsport, um, yeah, I'd be delighted to hear from you and uh, and 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 help you make some uh, some good choices and and do a do a good deal. That's that's about it. That's my plug.
0: <laughs> so basically, what we're saying this is Elon Musk. If you could go to frontrow-marketing.co.uk uh, and get in contact with Jeremy, that would be fantastic. Awesome. Uh, thank you very much to our audience as well. We will be back on Saturday when we preview the Spanish Grand Prix at the Circuit de Catalunya, which I will also be hosting. Uh, we look forward to seeing you all then. Goodbye.